This is the Reading Instruction Show. I'm your host, as always, Dr. Andrew Johnson, Dr. Andy Johnson, whatever you want to call me, I don't care. Today's podcast is called Toward a Psychology of Being, second in a series of three podcasts examining Abraham Maslow and his ideas. And this one will focus on self-actualization. Now, Maslow was among the earliest pioneers in humanistic psychology, and this movement began to emerge in the 50s in response to the idea that humans were merely creatures driven by their subconscious, as Sigmund Freud and the psychoanalytic model suggest, or that human beings were simply organized Uh, organisms conditioned to respond to internal and external stimuli, as B.F. Skinner and the behaviorist model suggest. Instead, Maslow, as well as Carl Rogers, Eric Erickson, and Maria Montessori, saw human beings as having a natural impulse towards fullness, towards health, towards growth, And three psychological concepts for which Maslow is highly identified are the hierarchical hierarchical structure of motivation, self-actualization, and peak experiences. This podcast addresses self-actualization, and it is from my latest book, The Human Dimension in Education, published by Roman and Littlefield. So let's look at self-actualization. This is the term used to describe the natural unfolding and realization of one's full potential. Put another way, within every acorn there's a mighty oak tree. To actualize is to enable the taproot to sprout from the acorn and the seedling to come forth and begin to grow to be the oak tree. Self-actualization is when the acorn recognizes the oak tree within, embraces oak treeness, and begins the journey towards being and becoming an oak tree. This occurs more readily, of course, when the lower level needs have been stabilized. The lower level deficiency needs. And a review of Maslow, that would be the biological and physical needs, the safety needs, the belonging and love needs, and the esteem needs. Self-actualization occurs more readily when these have been stabilized. Now, self Actualization is not an end state. Rather, it's a state of being and becoming the highest version of yourself. Self-actualization is a continuing process that keeps you moving forward, that pushes you to fully evolve and develop your full potential in all dimensions. In this sense, People are not self-actualized. Rather, they're self-actualizing. There are four tasks related to self-actualization. One, discover and understand yourself. Two, express your inner core. Three, find your passion and act on it. 
And four, discover your talents and strengths. And I will describe each one of these. First, discover and understand yourself. The first task here is to separate yourself from expectations, from parental expectations, from society norms, societal norms, and from cultural influences to discover who you are and who you want to become. You not only discover who you are, but you embrace it. You're okay with who you are. You do not try to be or become something you're not. Now this task is prominent throughout childhood and intensifies during adolescent and early adulthood but it's a task that must be addressed in different ways throughout our life. Meaning that at different trans transition points in our life, we must continue to reflect, reassess, and re-identify. The second task related to self-actualization is to express your inner core. This means to communicate the ideas, the images, and the feelings from your inner self in some form. This allows these ideas, images, and feelings to interact with other humans, and in so doing, creates a more dynamic and more richly defined sense of self. Now, in the classroom, this can be done through poetry, writing, music, dance, the visual arts, and drama. It can also occur in individual and small group discussions where students are engaged in honest dialogue. And this shows the importance of writing, daily writing, writing in which students select their writing topics where they're able to say and communicate what they want to say and communicate. Remember, communicating is a natural human desire. We want to share our ideas with other human beings. And writing is a media that enables you to do this. The third one is to find your passion and act on it. Here you discover what's of extreme interest to you and has deep significance. You identify what you love to do. Now, parents can help their children here by providing a variety of experiences, reading a variety of books with their children, and simply allowing the child to explore and mess about. Teachers can help by exposing students to a wide variety of topics and activities, by providing a lot of books on a variety of topics in schools and classroom libraries and creating structure whereby students can explore and ultimately discover what's of interest to them. The next step then, of course, is for parents and teachers to allow and encourage the child to act on their passions. In the classroom, this means designing learning experiences that include these passions. 
This freedom should occur in preschool through graduate school. This also means providing spaces within the curriculum where students are able to choose topics to study, writing topics, and books to read. Imagine that. And the fourth idea is discovering your talents and strengths. Here, you identify what it is you're really good at and like to do, and often these are the same. We like to do generally what we're good at. Now, too often, schools seem to spend an inordinate amount of time and resources identifying what students do not know and cannot do. This, of course, is detrimental to learning and to healthy emotional and intellectual development. Instead, a more logical, growth-oriented approach would be threefold. First, find out what students know and then design learning experience that build on their current knowledge. This is consistent with a constructivist approach to teaching. Second, identify students' strengths and use these to compensate for deficient areas. Now, this doesn't mean we don't remediate deficit areas, rather that we also include instruction to help students use their strengths to compensate for these areas. And third, help students identify and develop their preferred ways of thinking, knowing, learning, and demonstrating their learning. So let's look at nurturing the acorn. Described here are five ways in which parents and teachers can help nurture the acorn within. Now, I'm going to use the word, the word child here, but these ideas can be applied to children, adolescents, students, adults, people of all ages. Nurturing the acorn within, nurturing the acorn, nurturing the oak tree within, helping that grow. Within every acorn, there's a mighty oak tree. I love that one. All right, the first one is unconditional positive regard. Carl Rogers came up with this term. This is to accept the child for who he or she is, regardless of the circumstance. Now, this is different from accepting negative behavior. This also does not mean that there are not negative consequences for negative behavior. Instead, unconditional positive regard means that you let the child know that you care for and still appreciate him or her. This is the soil and water that enables the acorn to sprout and the seedling to grow. This also means helping the child accept him or herself. Shaming, used as an aversive conditioner to control behavior, is antithetical to efforts here. The second way to nurture the acorn is safety, providing physical, emotional, and social safety to the degree that you can enables the child to explore and to feel free to be and become who he or she is. The third area 
or the third way to nurture the acorn is acceptance. Do not force expectations on the child. Do not try to make the child be or become something she or he is not. Instead, provide nurturance and support to allow the child to be and become who she or he is. By providing nurturance, acceptance, and a supportive environment, the true nature of the child will emerge. Fourth, self-reflection. In the classroom, include various kinds of self-reflective activities and experiences. These could include activities such as writing, individual or small group conversation, or simply pauses during the day to notice, to feel, or to listen. Also, the arts can be used as both a means to express one's inner core and for intrapersonal, intra-going within, intrapersonal exploration. Also, for these sorts of self-reflective activities, these sorts of activities enable the child to recognize and to begin to understand emotions and other motivational forces that operate below the level of consciousness. And the fifth area to develop, to nurture the acorn and help the oak tree grow is respect for natural impulses. Listen to the oak tree within. Recognize and respect children's natural movement toward health and wholeness so they can begin to trust their inner guiding impulses. This means that we must allow children to begin to make choices. How can we expect children to make good choices if we do not allow them to make choices? Sometimes making choices means making the wrong choice, but we need to give children, providing scaffolds to the greatest extent possible, the opportunity to make choices. All right, this has been the Reading Instruction Show. We have been looking at Maslow's idea of self-actualization and putting this in the context of parents and teachers and classrooms and other stuff.